You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God, in His infinite mercy, has seen fit to save us from His wrath through Jesus Christ. There's a rebellion because of the wickedness of the kingdom and the weakness of Jeroboam. The alliance falls apart. There's all kinds of disobedience that makes him worse. And Joram goes and rests with his fathers because he can't die. It only lasts eight years. He's only there for eight years. You read about this in 2 Chronicles. According to 2 Chronicles 21, Elijah wrote Joram a letter condemning him for his sins and predicting that judgment would come upon him and disaster upon the nation. It's easy to think that the decisions a king made in the Old Testament thousands of years ago wouldn't have any impact on you and I today, right? Today in his message, Pastor Dave will show us that the lack of forward thinking these men had can be a warning to you and I today so as to not repeat their costly mistakes. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 8 as he continues his message, The Greatness of God Compared. So Elisha is questioned by Ben-Hadad. It took not only great courage, but great faith for Elisha to go to the king. Why? The king didn't like this guy much. Every time you turn around, the king was trying to kill him. He didn't like the way he came against him. He didn't like what he said. But even though Elijah had been against the king, he healed Naaman, who was the king's commander. And the last time we saw him, what did he do to the Syrian army? What did he do with the Syrian army? He let him go. He captured them all, remember, and he fed them, and then he let them go. So why wouldn't this guy be friendly to him? They always tried to capture or kill Elisha, but since God miraculously delivered him so many times, he was now respected, and he was welcome into the king's court. He was welcome on this account. Wanting to know the outcome of his present illness, the king asked, the king of Syria asked the prophet with this extravagant gift. Did you see what he gave him? Forty camel loads? That's quite a gift. Forty camel loads? Elisha gets a revelation from the Lord. Let's read verses 10 through 13. And Elisha said to him, go say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has showed me that he will really die. Hmm. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. The man of God wept. And Haziel said, why is my Lord weeping? He answered, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their straw holes you will set on fire and their young men you will kill with the sword and you will dash their children and rip open the women with child. So Haziel said, but what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, the Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Haziel went to Elisha and he said, my master, King Hadad, wants to know if he's going to recover from this illness. And Elisha gave him the old good news, bad news trick. The good news is you're going to recover. And the bad news is you're going to die. (laughs) You're going to recover, but you're going to die. You're not going to die from this illness that's taking place. You're going to die from something else. It's the old good news, bad news. 
God gave Elisha this insight more than the health of the king of Syria. He was also inevitable and ultimately God-ordained judgment that would unfold against God's people. Elisha rightly said that the king was going to die and he was going to recover too. However, he saw that the same person he was speaking to would engineer the assassin of King Hadad and then a total, total mass killing of Israel. It was horrible. This is how true Elisha's statement was. We know that the king does recover from his illness, but we know he dies. Look what happens to Elisha. Look what Elisha does. He comes into a stare and he's staring at Haziel. He breaks down into tears. He's overwhelmed because of what is going to happen. I know the evil you're going to do. I know the area, this was such a dramatic personal confrontation between the prophet and his high official. Elisha stares at him because he had a prophetic knowledge of future event and how this man was going to trouble all of Israel to the point of weeping. To the point of weeping. And to me, here, Elisha becomes a type of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because what did Jesus do over Jerusalem? He wept. He wept. Why? Because they wouldn't believe. Elisha saw the results of the nation's disobedience to God. He saw the judgment that was coming. He saw the judgment that God would use Haziel to carry out against the people of Israel. God told Elisha more about the coming situation. He showed the prophet that the messenger to the king, Haziel, after he took the throne, would do evil to the children of Israel. Elisha's prophetic calling and gift was at times more of a burden than a blessing. And this is what happens sometimes. It's a burden and not a blessing. He could clearly see what would befall Israel through Haziel, but he was powerless to prevent it. One of the greats in Christian times was F.B. Meyer. He makes this quote, quote, The nearer we live to God, the more we deserve to be known as men and women of God, the more will our tears flow for the slain of the daughters of our people, unquote. Elisha sees from afar what's going to happen in Israel, and he weeps for God. He weeps, just like Jesus wept over Jerusalem because he knew that they wouldn't accept him. He knew he was going to be killed. He knew he had to go to the cross, and he wept because they didn't receive him. You want to get somebody's attention? Show them a picture of a starving dog. Show them a picture of a starving dog. Oh, they'll go crazy. They'll go nuts. Show them a picture of a fetus about to be aborted. Ah. If we as a church don't start weeping for the things that are against God's will, we're in sorry shape, folks. We are in sorry shape. But think about it. If, if, if we don't start weeping for the things that God wants to do, I say woe to us. I say woe to us. And listen, folks, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm looking in a mirror and pointing right back at myself, please. Haziel says, what am I, a dog, that you would see this such a gross thing? Perhaps Haziel has already planned the assassination. 
and wanted to become ignorant in Elisha's announcement. Perhaps he had not yet planned it and didn't know his evil capabilities of the heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Either way, his events was inappropriate. He should have taken the warning as an opportunity to, to confront himself and do the right thing, as we should take the warning and do the right thing. You know, I used to love when my pastor Frank would get up and he would say, right is right and wrong ain't. I used to love that. I used to just love that. You know, we need to stand up for what's right. We need to take a stand for what is right. Instead of turning back the accusations. Our ignorance of the depravity of our own hearts is a startling fact that Haziel didn't believe that he was bad enough to do anything that somebody said. See, when you don't believe you're bad enough, I got news for people. I'll tell you right now. The door is open for you to leave. But, but for the grace of God, I'm an axe murderer. But for the grace of God, I'm an axe murderer. I'm telling you right now. Because in this sinning human being, in this fallen and depraved person that's been saved by God's grace, I can do any horrible act you can think of. But grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Praise God. I am what I am. Elisha says to Haziel, the Lord show me that you're going to become king. It may be asked that Elisha should have told Haziel this. Perhaps this began the whole assassination process. However, there are many reasons for thinking that Elisha did exactly the right thing. I think he was led by God. We have to believe that. He did not tell Haziel how the king would die. He didn't reveal that there would be assassination, so he didn't plant the idea into Haziel's head. Elisha didn't tell Haziel how he would become king. He didn't tell him to assassinate the king. And he went against his own compassion and his patriotic interest by he told Haziel this, making more of it likely that he did by God's prompting. The Holy Spirit told him that. The Holy Spirit told him to tell him these things. Elisha perhaps hoped that this amazing prophecy would touch his heart and get him to turn from it, his wicked ways. But we're going to see that it did not. We're going to see that it did not. Let's look at 14 and 15. So, then he departed from Elisha and came to his master and said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me you would surely recover. I didn't tell him all the thing. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died. And Haziel reigned in his place. He told me I would recover. Yeah. yeah. He didn't say commit murder. Haziel took an evil inference from Elisha's prophecy and he seized the throne. He took it by force. He should have taken the announcement by the prophet and repented and come back and checked his own heart instead of acting in an evil way. He was fully responsible for his own action because the wickedness of his human heart. And finally, we come into this, lastly, the foolishness of compromise. Let's read, there were two kings in Judah I have here. Let's read 16 through 24. Now, in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began the reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king and reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. That's not good. 
walked in the way of the kings of Israel because they were all evil kings, remember? Just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David, as he promised to give him a lamp to him and his sons forever. Back in 2 Samuel 7, remember. In his days... Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zaire and all his chariots with him. Then he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him in the capital and the captains of the chariots and the troops fled their tents. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And Libna revolted at the time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah. So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Azahiah, his son, reigned in his place. The story of the kings of Judah kind of was put on hold back in 1 Kings 22. It kind of was put on hold. We've been studying nothing but the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, ended his 25-year reign, and his son Jehoram came to the throne. Now we pick up the story of Jehoram again. Jehoram should not be confused with the other Jehoram in 2 Kings 3, one they now called Joram, and the other one that king called Jehoram. But this guy, Jehoram, walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, which means he walked in evilness. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. In the southern kingdom, we have godly kings, wicked kings. But in the northern kingdom, we had nothing but wicked kings. And God rejected them all. Jehoram made all Judah sin according to the religion of the Canaanites. You can find that out in 2 Chronicles 21, 11. What was his problem? What was his main problem? We read it. Foolishness of compromise. How did he compromise? He took the daughter of Ahab for his wife. He took the daughter of Ahab for his wife. The wickedness of Joram was not a surprise, considering how much he allowed himself to be influenced by the house of Ahab. Remember Ahab and Jezebel turning the entire nation Israel over to Baal, wanting to kill all the prophets of God, wanting to do nothing but evil? Perhaps their marriage was political or socially well, but it wasn't a spiritual marriage. It caused spiritual calamity for Judah. It was arranged by his father, and they used to arrange those things so that the tribes would get along. When they tried to consolidate the throne, he turns around and kills all his brothers and many of the other leaders. I don't know, perhaps some people thought that the marriage between the royal families would work, but it didn't. It didn't work spiritually. It didn't work that way. Instead, it brought Judah down spiritually. Does that sound familiar? You have a spiritual person and you have an unspiritual person. And when they get together, which way does which go? The unspiritual person usually never goes that way. But the spiritual person goes down, don't they? Don't be unequally yoked. Don't be unequally yoked, Scripture says. Not just in marriage, but in all relationships. In all relationships. Don't hang around with a bad crowd. You hang around with a bad crowd, I can guarantee 99% of the time, you'll end up doing the same thing that they're doing. Oh, I'm going to hang around with them so I can get them saved. Okay, good luck on that one. Good luck. That's a great thought. It's a wonderful thought. And who knows? One or two of them may come your way. I don't know. But there's a better chance of you going that way. 
A better chance of you going that way instead of them coming towards you. Much better chance. It's interesting, though. Here the Lord is coming down heavy on the northern kingdom of Israel, but he's not coming down so heavy on Judah. And we find out why. For the sake of his servant, David. What's at the end of David's lineage? Jesus Christ. The Lord is not going to mess with that. The Lord is not going to mess with the Messiah. He's not going to mess with his plan. It'll come to fruition. So he's not going to mess with that. God withheld it because he was faithful to David. Faithfulness to David. God, in his infinite mercy, has seen fit to save us from his wrath through Jesus Christ. There's a rebellion because of the wickedness of the kingdom and the weakness of Jeroboam. The alliance falls apart. There's all kinds of disobedience that makes him worse. And Joram goes and rests with his fathers because he can't die. And it lasts eight years. He's only there for eight years. You read about this in 2 Chronicles. According to 2 Chronicles 21, Elijah wrote Joram a letter condemning him for his sins and predicting that judgment would come upon him and disaster upon the nation. At age 40, Jehoram was struck with a fatal intestine disease and died in terrible pain. Again, 2 Chronicles 21. Total failure because of compromise. Total failure of the whole kingdom because of compromise. Your sin does not just affect you. Your sin has far-reaching effects. Let's finish out the chapter. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king and reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. Now he went to Joram, the son of Ahab, to war against Haziel, king of Syria, at Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. Then King Joram went back to Jezreel to recover from his wounds, which the Syrians had inflicted on him in Ramah, when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria. And Azahiah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. What a Donnybrook. This is just the beginning of craziness that's going to take up several chapters from now. And I even have written, let the killing begin, because as you start to read through the rest of the book of 2 Kings, all the worshipers of Baal killed, Jehu's killed, Adatila reigns, he kills this one, they kill that one, all of the sons of Ahab are killed constantly. It just becomes a mass murder because they're not following God's way. They're not following God's rule. This sets the stage for just a nasty time. So look at what we have as we wrap this up. We have the greatness of God. God did a wonderful work by saving the Shunammite woman and her son. He did a wonderful work by allowing her because why? Because she was obedient. She believed what Elisha said through God. She believed and she did what was, she was told. She followed God's commands and he saved her. He saved her. When she came back, he restored everything she had for her. Then you have the wickedness of the human heart. 
I don't know how many have been told this. Oh, just follow after your heart. Just follow your heart. Well, Jeremiah said the heart's deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? You need to follow after the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you don't need to be following after your heart. Follow after the Holy Spirit. And finally, compromise. The foolishness of compromise. That clever, seductive, deadly tactic that Satan uses on all of us. Chances are none of us will be convinced to go out and commit a horrendous sin. But he wants us to lower our guard a little bit. He just wants us to give in a little bit. It won't hurt if I go over to my friend's house and hang out for a while. Yeah, I know they do bad things. I know they do things, but I'm stronger than that. I can handle it. It won't be bad if I go over there and just hang out for a while. Compromise. Compromise. We lower our guard a little bit. We drop our standards a little lower. We give into the world a little bit. A little leaven spoils the whole loaf. A little leaven spoils the whole batch. We allow this. We allow that. We compromise here. We compromise that. And we're all guilty of it. Not pointing fingers. We're all guilty of it. A little compromise. What does it do? It impairs our integrity. Compromise impairs our integrity, it endangers our character, and it damages our relationship with God. Be clear about one thing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Be clear of that. But man, you can do yourself some damage with that C word. That compromise can do you some real damage. It can put you in a place where I can guarantee you don't want to be. It can put you in a, in a state that you don't want to be. I'm not talking about New Jersey, Connecticut, a state of mind that you don't want to be in. It can pull you away from the Lord and cause great consternation and great difficulties in your life. Compromise is severe. And I'm sure all of us have experienced it at one time or the other where we thought we were doing good, and you may have been doing good, but all of a sudden you found yourself in a compromised situation. It's like, oh my gosh, look where I'm... First words out of your mouth. How did I get here? Well, you didn't just walk there. It just happened little by little. Little compromise here, a little compromise there. Compromise is dangerous, folks. Following your heart is dangerous. The heart is deceitfully wicked. The only thing that can counteract that is the greatness of God. God is greater than all that. God is greater than all of that. And if we follow him, if we abide in Christ and continue to abide in Christ, you'll bear much fruit. And we will continue to bear fruit as we abide in Christ. It's when we get away from the vine, when we start walking off on our own and doing our own thing, because I can do that, I'm strong enough. No, you're not. You're not. Take heed, Christian, lest you fall. Take heed, lest you fall. So we see three different scenarios here. Each one of them, one is great, but two are horrible. Where are you standing? Are you relying on the greatness of God or following your heart? Or are you compromising? I pray that you're following the greatness of God. That's my prayer for you today. You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to and even share with your friends and family. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in 2 Kings or jump to another book of the Bible. A Sure Hope is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. If you're not already connected to a church family, we'd love for you to join us this weekend. We meet weekly, Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. We'd be happy to get to know you and hear about your story. Find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. Look on our website for directions as well as the various ministries that we offer. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we'd love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. As this edition comes to a close, we want you to know we're grateful you're a part of our listening audience. Make sure to join us again next time for more from Second Kings, where Pastor Dave will pick up where he left off. We look forward to that time with you again as you continue to learn and grow here on A Sure Hope.